Did Swedenborg have any dialogue with Jesus? Did the angels help us find and connect with our soulmate? Does Swedenborg mention suicide? Will we be able to see God when we pass away? God is omniscient, and why would How he can allow someone you? gain heavenly rewards? Is the afterlife more lined up? God is more lined up. Why can storms Does Swedenborg tell us anything about our experiences? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. It's the panel show. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm the host. But, uh, you know, that's not the big news today. We have a new panel member with us. This is Shada. And she is, i got to make sure I get it right so I'm going to read your lower third. An MDiv student at the Center for Swedenborg and Studies. Shada, thanks so much for coming on with us. Pleasure to be here. And some of you may recognize that voice. Shada is, is in our show all the time as the voice of the Swedenborg quotes. Um, so we're, we're happy to have you here in full presence. And rounding out the panel is Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor of the New Century Edition Translations of the Public Theological Works of Manuel Swedenborg. <laughs> And then, nicely done, Curtis. To, to, to his left is Chelsea Odner, writer extraordinaire and member of the Swedenborg Foundation team. Thanks everybody for for coming out. Uh, so here. we're gonna do what we do here, which is we interact with the audience. You guys ask us questions. We say a couple things, and hopefully they're related to the question you ask. Yes. So we're gonna do it right now. Let's take a look at, at what's on your mind. <clears throat> this is all from the YouTube chat. If you're watching, so get in there, ask your own questions. So our first one is. Ginger, was Swedenborg told why he was given his gift? And mm. I'm, so the gift, I'm assuming in this because he was a, a very gifted dude in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, but I think the gift we're talking about here is you can see spirits, you can learn the secrets of heaven and hell, and you can, you know, make books and make people make shows about your books later mm. on. So why Swedenborg? Um, I, I would like to know the answer myself. And does he ever mention that? So you have any thoughts, Jonathan? Well, I think that um, in the Journal of Dreams, which she did a show about a couple of weeks ago, yep. <clears throat> the 10 early signs of a spiritual awakening, he has such a sense of purpose in there. There's a, a you know, even though he doesn't necessarily know what it is, right. there's, there's some purpose behind this. Mm -hmm. And he quite often says in his uh, theological writings um, that here's why this is happening. You know, he does oh, develop yeah, yeah. over time a sense of like, why the, the you know the purpose of this is to rescue the reputation of scripture the purpose of this is to show people that we do live after death and, and you know not to be yeah, so i could up see by, it so i could see it happen for myself or so i could understand i totally know what you're talking about yeah yeah that's right that's right okay so there's yeah. some purpose yeah more well I, I don't know where it is that he writes it but i know at some point he i've read that he reflects that all of his life you know you said he was gifted in all these ways he was a scientist and yeah. Swedish noble and mm. all this stuff, but that he felt that all of his learning was leading to that, to this later life work that he did, that it was preparing him for this right. next part, you know, of his spiritual awakening and work yeah. that way. So he seems aware of that, that of why he had those other gifts. <laughs> yeah. They served that. Mm -hmm. Well, I was at the, um, the Swedenborg Foundation board meetings because we had an and I was talking to a couple of guys uh, who were reading Swedenborg and reading sort of the books he wrote right before you know the, the spiritual books that we look into right. here and they're saying you can see kind of this progression where he's got some similar ideas that he's already deploying but they go through this evolution so it's sort of like yeah the, the evidence of what you're talking about there mm -hmm. Chelsea so um Chada you have any thoughts on this subject well yeah you know I 
I was just thinking about his sort of mental space of servanthood. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. like it is yeah. such an amazing thing that he experienced and um many people would want to take advantage of it, you know, for their own mm, right. for their own needs, but um like we are right. Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we are one. Yeah, but he he seemed to remain pretty focused on, mm-hmm. you know, God's mission for him and um so I think you know that must have been a really important part of his of his nature to do, to be able to remain focused on that and in humility right because he mm-hmm. often wrote at the end of his books or at the beginning signed them servant you know Emmanuel Swedenborg servant of the Lord mm-hmm. yeah. so it's like he's always reminding himself of that at the same time but right. making that his purpose right? yeah yeah right. that's right to do good, good, do some kind of either. Definitely, like, I'm, this is going to accomplish something. This information is going to accomplish something. So those are a couple of things. And I, I want to leave this question, but I, where did I hear that, like, Leonardo da Vinci, like, God tapped him on the shoulder, but he didn't take it up? Did you guys ever hear mm, that? No. That, that, that oh, Leonardo, I've heard people mention that, I guess. And, like, where, how could chat. anyone have known that? But, like, maybe he kept a diary or something that he was kind of like, maybe he could have done this, but he was like, ah, no, I don't know. That's total slandering his reputation, but I don't know that. <laughs> I, it's in my brain for some reason. Dangerous place. All right, let's look at the next one. Thanks, Ginger. Uh, this is from Ellen. In the Wiccan religion, God is viewed as both Ooh, male, yay. the physical, and female. Any thoughts? Well, we were just like, man, we're just about to write a show about this. Yes, yeah, we sure, we have some thoughts. Um, does anyone have any thoughts to start with? Well, sure. I yeah. mean, the main one that is just, it's funny that it's such a short phrase, and yet we could contemplate it for eternity, which is that... God created people and in his own image and he created them male and female. Yeah. And so you have to, there are all those elements right there. So we think one God and yet male and female are both created in the image and likeness of God. And so then how do we, you know, wrap Mm. our head around that? Yeah. And we, we, we've been having some good conversations that I write because we're, we're pondering an episode on sort of this topic. And it's sort of looking at it backwards because we, we look at the derivatives, which right. are, which uh-huh. are men and women. And we say like, hey, right. so yeah, so which is God? But that Swedenborg, the, the way he describes us is we're kind of like these these sort of echoes of the divine reality, which is this love love and wisdom together. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, we're, we're we are like. Uh, you know, elements of God rather than which oh. which category does God fit into? Mm. Um, but but certainly displaying both uh, both at the same time is super important. Yeah. Well, yeah. Another because like you said, we were just thinking about this, and I was just reading about it today. That um, when Swedenborg talks about how the heavenly angels understand the commandment of to honor your father and mother, they right. understand that as honoring your father as love itself and your mother as wisdom itself, yeah. and. Um, so that those are those two qualities, the masculine and the feminine, if you want to think about it that way, the mother and the father that are one in God. And I was, it struck me that Swedenborg also talks about those two main forces or whatever, love and wisdom as love, I guess, would be equated with the underlying divine reality, right? Right, yeah. As like the, maybe more of the father side or something, and then yeah. the mother or wisdom as the capacity, I mean, the power to become manifest, this manifesting. So mm-hmm. this dual thing going on that is one in God, but has these two qualities to it. Totally. Yeah, and there's this heady um, passage. Uh, he writes about this that um, in one work, I think it's in Divine Love and Wisdom, he talks about that uh, God, I don't I'll have to just paraphrase this in my own words, but it's like God is not just like a blob of godness, you know, of undifferentiated yeah, divinity yes. or something, that all things are infinitely 
one in God. So they're one, but you can talk about the divine mercy or the divine nemesis or different quality, mm. you know, divine truth, divine love, and so on. And there's one particular passage where Swedenborg gets quite personal about it in True Christianity number 51. Um, he says that love leaves the administration, the divine love mm. leaves the administration of love to its partner, the divine wisdom. So the divine wisdom acts on behalf of the divine love. So there's a very kind of male and female yeah. kind of feeling or marriage sort of feeling or something in there that, that there's this partnership in these part. They're both in God. God is one. And, yeah. you, you know, so it gets hard to understand. But. Right. And because we, we spend all this time saying, no, 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 like the Trinity is all one. But then there's also there's sort of parts and like whatever it all means. But yeah, that's cool. Shana, do you have any thoughts? Well, you know, I like George Dole's term, distinguishable oneness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. which is a helpful way to think about it. Um, you know, my daughter is actually asking lots of questions about how to imagine God and um, and whether or not it's best or, or useful to imagine God as a male or a female. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard for our human minds to understand what distinguishable oneness really means mm. without like just flipping back and forth between images. Right. So mm -hmm. it's sometimes helpful when we can just sort of, you know, relax our minds and approach the concept as opposed to like, trying to force it i don't know i found that to be mm -hmm. yeah. more helpful you know like those you remember those um those pictures that you would hide image inside them and you would have to like relax your eyes before you could oh, see right. the image right. it kind of reminds me mm -hmm. of that guy. yeah the magic guy right, right. Yep. yeah it's just like too mm -hmm. um when you try to force it, it it's harder than than when you back off a little bit I think we're more receptive to spiritual ideas in a way when we're not grasping so hard. Mm. Yeah. And what I remember, still remember the feeling of when you get one of those to work. And you're like, oh, I did it. I know how to do it. The magic guy. Right. right. And mm. I think I just want to add, it's sort of, maybe it's sort of philosophical, but it's that is reminding me about how just the whole quality of um, truth that we can think that there is something that is truth that just exists out there and yet it's never separate from our experience from the moment that we're in when we need it you know like that's when it has power and i think of swedenborg talks about how we uh, or that the lord appears we were just talking about this too appears to different communities and he'll look different depending mm, on yeah. the the love and just who the person is as an individual um and uh so it's similar i think with the maleness or the femaleness of god of whether you're that the way that our minds work, we do want to picture just a single person, you know, that is maybe either male or female, um, that it can be different just in a different moment, you know, mm -hmm. or if you're contemplating a different passage from scripture, you're going to have one or the other appearing to you or something. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, you know, yeah. that that can all be, yeah, God mm -hmm. connecting with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think people came here for Swedenborg weird stuff so we, I think we should give them some and this is something we it's too bad Karin's not here because we, we've been talking yeah. with her too um, but there's so we hear about the the grand human right in heaven that, that oh, right. there's heaven is in the human form and actually because it's all organized by God's love and truth it's actually in the form of God like that the heaven is sort of a, the, the closest thing you could get if you could see it as a whole but that in that human form which is human human but has um, genitals of both, both, right. all the reproductive, reproductive organs. So, yeah. like, it's but but that would make you think, oh, that's that's different. But so somehow, the reflection of God is all things. Is in all, yeah, all of the above. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, 
There we go. And we are sometime going to make a whole episode about that. So great question, Ellen. And let's take a look at our next one. This is Soul Purpose Artist. Do we die when we have achieved our purpose that we came to do? Ooh. Yeah. I... Yeah. Well, I was just reading about um, the process of regeneration. That that is what... That is... The, how we are saved. Spoiler alert. Upcoming show. <laughs> and, and that uh, in the we have to. It's important that we start that process while there, while we're in this world. Um, yeah. Swedenborg says, but that our once we've started the process of regeneration, the system is designed so that we are just perfected to eternity. And he even says that uh, if you're a good person. You know, and you live a life according to, you know, the true ideas that you know and you're wanting to serve other people, whatever. If you're just generally a good person like that, um, but you haven't necessarily started the kind of like spiritual trials or this or that that might be more iconically your regeneration process, mm-hmm. um, that that will happen for you in the next life. Like that the regeneration process happens there and that it continues to eternity. And so with this idea of purpose, that is each of our purpose and so it's even if we get started here it's not that our physical lives there's plenty of work we can do once we've started the process of regeneration and then it can continue on um forever so that's my initial thought that jumped to mind cool that's it that's all we have time (laughs) (laughs) go ahead i i've um i've thought a lot about this because you have this idea of the only the good die young and that that kind of idea that that's catchy and so it sort of means all the old people are evil or something i don't know what <laughs> the implication is but as i've thought about that i thought it, it could not it, it can't work that way because um for one thing as soon as people started to get to a state of goodness they'd be you know harvested out of here yeah. and uh then you'd only have you know people who weren't so good left behind and it's like, uh, why didn't i die yeah. i think once once you get good like swedenborg got to a, a certain level and then lasted a really long time when the average male Swedish uh, life expectancy was 37. He lived to be 84. Uh, he didn't, you know what I mean? And I agree with what you said, Chelsea, that the um, your purpose is this infinitely unfolding thing. Right, and I right. also think there's a lot of divine, like, like there's a lot of freedom in it. Or, or we have choice about how, you know, uh, God is often sort of, I think, sort of waiting to see what what we're going to choose so to speak you know kind of thing and um so i don't think it's the case i do think there are some remarkable stories of where someone finished a body of work or something and then within a week or two you know they passed on you know sometimes Mm. you read that kind of story but i think in general um it's a more open-ended thing and some people i don't think we can conclude about people's death date what spiritual level they had Mm-hmm. gotten to because it's all developmental here and on the other side right 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 Shada, do you have any thoughts well only around the idea that um we might have no idea what we came here to do as yeah. well you know they right. certainly we often have a goal or a grand plan but um i think a lot of the time we it's better when we don't know mm-hmm. what totally. we're yeah. here for yeah. you know <laughs> or like because then we don't get in our own way or <laughs> you know our expectations don't you know mold mm. what we're doing um so I've had yeah. multiple grand plans, but none of them panned <laughs> out. So I guess I'm with you on that. Right, yeah, right. yeah, that's good. So I don't remember what show it was, <clears> but there was a there's a we included this in the show. There's a passage in the spiritual diary where he oh. says, 
the reasons. Here's the reasons people die. And he lists right. like four oh, of right. them. And it was like, one is uh, the use that you have for yourself. like the, the perp- right. And that would be like what you were saying, Chelsea, of the, the, uh, the regeneration work you can still do, how you can further your own soul. Um, two is the use to other people in the world, which might be like what you're talking about, Jonathan, right. whether you finish your body of work and you go. And this, you know, achieved our purpose. The purpose could be something, you know, that could be, we could be talking about something you're doing for other people in the world or the work you're doing for yourself, which sets uh-huh. you up for eternity. But then, I don't know if I'm... Uh, then he also says that it's the use to spirits and angels, right? Which I never thought. Well, meaning, angels and spirits are always connected to us, and they sort of need us for stuff. So it could be that like they need physical world. I'm Curtis here, like all right, no, no, we need Curtis no, for like a, <laughs> as, as a pair of shoes, um, another decade. <laughs> um, and then I don't know what the fourth one was, <laughs> but. My, my but point I think is, it was equally, the most important one. Yes, yes. It, it yes. was equally other life centered, if I remember. Yeah, it was something I, I, like, like I that. think there's only one about your life yes. here, and yes. everything else else was about the other side, about your state of freedom or preserving certain things. Yeah. I think something like that. I forget what it is. Yep. And so I I just think that right, you, you never know what factors are in there, and they're sort of uh, as as you're saying as better uh, that that's actually the state of being in the stream of providence uh, yeah. is like. I don't know where this is going, and that's cool because I'd rather have God steering and me trying to love everyone. I love every moment that I can and and do good in there. So, um, fascinating question. Again, could be could be a show. But I'd love to hear what you guys were saying about it. Thanks, Soul Purpose Artists. Let's look at the next one from YouTube. This is Cynthia. My friend killed himself. Will he go to heaven? Mm. So that's that sucks. I mean, that's a really mm-hmm. tough thing to go through. Um, I'm not trying to equate it, but I have had friends who have taken their lives, and it's this really intense thing. And so, yeah, what what happens? And there's been so much religious input on it already. A lot of traditions have strong opinions about what happens. But what what is a what does Swedenborg say, and, and what what can we take out of his view of the afterlife? Um, does anyone want to go first on that? Uh, I could jump in just with the thought that um, this isn't the case necessarily in all or, you know, circumstances of um, taking your own life. But uh, Swedenborg does say in a state of mental illness that we we don't have our rationality. Our rationality is impaired. And so in that state, we're not held accountable to, and we're not responsible for evil mm. that we might be committing in, in a state where our rationality is impaired. Um, and so uh, if that, um, you know, many of the, uh, suicides that I've that are of people that I've been connected to that is pretty demonstrably the case that they are in a state of ra- of mental illness and so yeah. um, and so in that case there's physical world things just interfering with their ability to have you know to have their spirit be fully functional in their in their body and so in that case it's not mm. it's not a like the Lord's will is for everybody to go to heaven <laughs> you know and the Lord foresees yeah evil and foresees and i don't mean evil in that way of being personal account personally accountable but that um wanting things that are uh feel cut off from god's love yeah well and um, you could just call the whole impact an evil that, that right, we all have to right, endure. Yeah. right right exactly and oh, so yeah, it has a huge impact yeah the lord is taking care of that and will be you know right there catching the person on the other side in terms of um caring for for them and getting them the you know right. leading them into understanding and 
and love. Yeah, yeah. I want to second Chelsea's point that everyone's born for heaven. It's very clear in what Swedenborg teaches that that there's no plan for anybody to, you know, no divine plan for anybody to go anywhere other than heaven. Uh, so you really have to fight against the current uh, to not go there. And when people uh, pass on, Swedenborg says that everyone is a welcome guest in the other world. So there's nobody's like, what are you doing here? Or you yeah. shouldn't have done that or something. You know, they're all greeted. And everybody starts at the top with the highest angels. And you stay with them unless you opt out and you go down. And even then, opting out only means temporarily you opt out. But people are not comfortable in that particular state, whatever state they're in. So well, I don't want to be with you. So they go down to the next level. It's like a pinball machine, the way I've pictured it, where you're the ball and you start at the top of the thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you work your way down from there. It's not the bottom fighting your way up. So, so the whole thing is tilted, to use another pinball <laughs> terminology, yeah. uh, towards... Uh, getting us the best possible outcome, getting us to go to heaven, you really have to be determined uh, to fight that system and you know and, and reject everything. Not only that once, that first time around after you die, but months or years later as you go through your process, you know you've got to really reject everything. So uh, I'm I'm certain that um, every option for heaven is open, you know, yeah. Yeah. for someone mm. in that circumstance. Mm. Shana, yeah, um, you know. I- I've also heard, you know, families of people who have um, accomplished suicide that they talk about not wanting to remember that person or have their life or their memory defined by that one act. And I think that, I think God looks at it the same way too, right? Mm -hmm. That Swedenborg makes it pretty clear that it's our intention and its context mm. that all plays into what our actions mean for the right. formation of our eternal soul. And so, you know, I think that's just a really important part of it. I don't think there's really any situation in which one act right. could be the defining act for our Absolutely. entire spiritual trajectory. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to rehash Like long ago, we made a little video on the channel called Do, Do Suicides Go to Hell? And I sort of like, I almost... Like, I feel nervous whenever someone watches that video because I'm like, there's two audiences you would talk to about suicide. Right. Like, there's the, the grieving family, you know, the family. Right. And then there's the person who's thinking about doing it. Right. And, and it's like, you want to talk to the, the, the people who, who knew because the there's been all these religious traditions that have said that's an automatic ticket to hell. And so now you've got like, you're not just, like, suicide is this, and, this really mm-hmm. um, complex, terrible cocktail of, of stuff because it's like you're like upset at the person but love the person and grieving mm-hmm. all this stuff. So you don't want the family to be going through that and have this like, oh, they're in hell forever now, like this like weird. So you want to talk to the family and say like, oh, yeah, according to Swedenborg, in, in the video we say what you said, which is no one act is going to is going to sway your whole who you are and what you love, especially if, as you were mentioning, Chelsea, it's done in a state of a mental illness. So, no, that that's not going to do it. On the other hand, it's not like Swedenborg says, go for it. You know, like there's, <laughs> right. he talks about um, that, that he, he doesn't mention it much, but he does, if you just search suicide, he talks about a person in the spiritual world who killed themselves and couldn't get let go of their knife, you know, that like they right. could, which just seems to indicate like it's not a way out of troubles. Like we just no, sort no, of no. think right. it's like, that it's going right. to, like even if you have this, like you were mentioning, this amazing reception with angels, um, the problem, whatever is still there. So um, uh, so anyway, like do you see what I mean? Like I'm almost like I don't oh, want, yeah, I want, you want to tell the family 
it, it's okay. It doesn't mean that they go to hell. Um, but you don't want to tell someone who's thinking of it. Yeah, it's fine. So it's like, it's so I'm glad we just put right. all the perspectives out here. Right, right. Yeah. It, okay, do we want to... And it, it could be many shows, and, and I would love to, like, you know, talk through it more with people who have been close to it, you know, and, and just to see... Um, yeah, you know, there's so much, and I hope oh, my final point is that what you were saying, Chelsea, about it being a a disorder that, that the, seems like the more they study it, the more they find out. Like this is not just somebody like, well, I guess I'll do it. Like it's this, it's this mm-hmm. degenerative progression, and you, you right. barely have free choice by the time it's happening, yeah. or it's pre-rational in general. Like young people who are, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. teenagers, and so in that case as well, you're just they're under these extreme pressures, and so even if they're not considered mentally ill they're according to swedenborg they're still pre-rational they're not right. rational human beings yet so they're right. not it's not yeah and swedenborg sentence. talks about having those impulses himself that that and then he finally found out years later which spirit was causing him to have those impulses mm. but mm. every time he'd see a knife there would there would be the you know the idea that he should plunge it into himself yeah and and uh, he couldn't figure it out and then it turned out it was somebody who was really angry with him who was in this in the spirit world and everything right. And uh, but so it gives you some sense. Occasionally, you get a sense from Swedenborg and how the spirits can press in sometimes on a situation like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's tough. Yes, I guess that this is going on. But the that just reminds me that in this whole where we are, that we do just have the influence of. uh, I mean, Swedenborg would say since the Lord's second coming, we have the ability to more openly connect with spiritual truths and not just get mm. so lost in the mm. in the hell and separateness that we can feel like we're in in this world and so um that's uh you know for everybody like you said for people who for the people who maybe are considering it themselves it's like i think you know i don't know there's just uh organizations and people there's like more tools i think than there ever were to sort of help uh-huh. you get you know, right. I don't know, have, right. get the help you need now so that that doesn't, yeah. so you don't feel so, you know, burdened by that or something. I, and I'm, it is true that I think that it doesn't, I, you know, when I've had inclinations that way myself, I, I have had the thought that it doesn't solve, you know, I'll still, the same issues will follow me. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to go see the angels, that's great and all this stuff, but but you'll come back down and then that same issue, you know, right. the more I believe in life after death, it doesn't, you know, it's not like you can end your life. It's just going to continue somewhere else right. or something like that. Right. But there's a whole lot of other people who are, who are hurt by it and so on. So. Right. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, in the next life, anything that is a physical uh, mm. cause, you know, right. of of mental illness, Blood you know, chemistry or whatever exactly, it might be. you know, that's removed, you know, and, but of course, you know, the way we live our lives, you know, the mind and the body are intimately connected. I don't think it's ever going to be just one or the other, you know, they're right. intimately connected. So yeah. hopefully a lot of the, the, uh, the influence of, you know, as we say, brain chemistry can be fixed, but there still right. will be things to deal with. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, Let's leave it there. I mean, we, yeah, we should just do shows where it's one question. And that's all we do is talk about that's so, right. so, and also thanks to Cynthia for being willing to, to share something that personal yeah, and yeah. Love open up the to conversation. Cynthia and everybody who's affected by this. That's totally. right. And, and I yeah, feel absolutely. like you know, being able to talk about it 
is important because if there's like a stigma around, then then That's it makes true. it even worse. That's and worse. True. So thank mm-hmm. you, Cynthia. Um, mm-hmm. Let's look at our next question. This is from John. Why does Swedenborg consider some books of the Bible divine and others not? And what are his feelings about the epistles? Are they still <laughs> worth reading? Well, we're so we're we're laughing because um, the gentleman uh, to my left uh, has done a lot of research into that <laughs> subject. So we won't let him answer this question. We'll see if we can piece it together. Yeah, yeah. No, but go ahead. So, so what? So, yeah, you go. So the premise. Let me just. The, the premise is that Swedenborg talks about an internal sense to the Bible. He says that right. it has this like extra layers of meaning and all this stuff, but he doesn't. He, he specifies certain books that have it, and he says some books have a little of it, and doesn't mention or seems to. Anyway, clear it up. What's he talking about? All right, all right. Okay, so a little, little complex, but I'll see if I can do it quickly. That um, Setting the if you <laughs> arrange Swedenborg's published theological works on the shelf in the sequence in which they were written, his position changes on this over time from mm-hmm. the early books to the later books. A lot of people, even people died in the wool, been reading Swedenborg all their lives, don't know that. They, yeah. they, this is a little-known fact, but it's absolutely true. And uh, so in one of his relatively early books, Secrets of Heaven or Arcana Celestia, he says toward the end that here's a list of the books that are part of the word and the rest are not. Yeah. Uh, And he does say that pretty clearly. Now, he says that once in a book. Then he copies it into another book that was published a couple of years later. Then he copies it a third time. And the third time he says, and in his first list, Job is left out of the list. And he copies it, and Job is still left out. And the third time, he copies it again. And then he says, well, Job is full of correspondences, of course, but it, you know, but it's not the same. Or something. Yes. So he's all, it's already starting to crack a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as he goes on, and he never uses his turn signal. I think the 18th century didn't have turn signals. <laughs> and so he would never say, I'm changing my position right now. You know, oh, you, you, yeah. you wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? That's what yeah. I mean by turn signal. Mm-hmm. But uh, later on, he starts to quote from those books more and more. Partway through Divine Providence, he starts quoting from Paul. From the ones in, that aren't in included. the epistles, yes. the yeah. ones that he doesn't include. He never quotes the epistles in Secrets of Heaven, his big biblical first work there. But he starts to quote from it. And then he starts to say better things about them and all this. And uh, by his last and final work, uh, True Christianity, he quotes uh, constantly from the epistles in there. Uh, the whole book ends, the last page of the first edition is three quotes in a row from the epistles. People don't realize that. <clears throat> and, um, and he refers to them some 15 times in there as the word. He calls them the word. So early work, he says it's not the word. Later work, he says they are the word. And um, he writes in a letter about in the middle of this time period, and somewhere in the 1760s, writes a letter to his friend Gabriel Beyer, because Beyer said to him, why don't you quote the epistles? And he said, uh, there are some books of the word that have this direct connection with heaven, with correspondences. There are others that uh, because they were written to launch a new religion, they could not be written in the obscure language of correspondences. They had to be doctrinal. Part of what strikes me is that I think Swedenborg's works are the same. They're doctrinal because he's trying to launch a new thing. Uh, So interestingly, his books actually have an affinity with the epistles. A lot of his terminology comes out of the epistles, and that starts in number one of Secrets, you know, all the way through Hmm. a lot of these. So he even uses in a late unpublished work in the Coronis, twice he uses the phrase the apostolic word, which is a collective term for the Acts and the Epistles, 
They're the epistles of the apostles and the acts of the apostles. You know, it's the apostolic word. There's a tongue twister in there somewhere. So what I think he's doing um, is at the time that he was writing, the epistles were downtown. You know, they were the courthouse. They were the right. you know city right. center. Of the Christian religion. Of the Christianity. Right. Yeah. Paul's epistle to the Romans was like the constitution of Christianity. Mm. So I think how the Lord led him was at first he had to just get rid of those things, dial it back, just read the prophets, the gospels, the book of Revelation, you know, look at the whole thing without even consulting the epistles. And then later on, he could bring them in as a secondary thing. If they're in second place, we're great. You know, it's very valuable stuff. Uh, Read, if you have a chance, True Christianity number 506, because in there you'll see that there was actually a group. Would you say the, the Rose Translation? The Rose translation I consider uh, quite good. Top 10, for sure. Um, <laughs> and in number 506, he, you actually see a group in the spiritual world already at the time that he's writing that is using the epistles and nothing but the epistles to make a case for what he calls the new church. Mm. It's fascinating. So mm. th- so it really evolves over time. I think once you got the right thing in the center, everything else can come back into the tent and we're all cool by the end. Right. Uh, some of his followers thought, we'd better cut all these books out because Swedenborg said, you know, but you got to read on and, right. and get the more nuanced picture. I don't know how that is as a summary, but... It was, no, right. it was beautiful. And mm-hmm. so you're saying, so s- slightly different in character. They, they don't have the yep. same correspondence level, but not... Actually, very useful. That's and right. More cl- closer to the center than you would you would have thought in the beginning. That's right. And he does explain uh, in several different works. He will explain the inner meaning of passages from the Acts and Epistles. Oh, really? Works that he said earlier on have no inner. You know, oh, he, he explains. He's holding that on us. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he does. He explains the tongues of of flame that come in the day of Pentecost in Acts yeah. chapter 2. He explains in, I think it's in First Peter, the elements will melt with fervent heat. And so, you know, he explains the rules that the apostles had for uh, what to eat. You no, know, nothing strangled, nothing yeah. sacrificed to idols. And, and so he explains the inner meaning of passages in there. So I think it's like Job. It's not that it doesn't have an inner meaning, but there's still something a little different yeah. ab- about those core Works, you know, Isaiah and the four Gospels and the book of Revelation. Yeah. So, uh, Interesting. John, you asked, you got it. Sorry, I've never thought about <laughs> it. <laughs> Does anyone else want to add anything? Yeah, you know, I think, well, I mean, one, it's so fascinating, for example, that Luke and Acts are written by the same author. Same person. Right. And well, one yeah. of them one is apparently ta- continuous correspondences right. and the other one isn't, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, but I really, I really like what you're saying there about the, the, the like backing off a little bit and then the incorporation, mm. you know, because there are, you know, several, you know, doctrinal points that Swedenborg is pretty much in opposition to Paul on, you know, That's substitutionary true. atonement and, That's true. Uh, you know, salvation right. according to faith and all of that. But I think there's also a ton in um, the epistles that could be really useful to mm-hmm. um, a Swedenborgian, you know, reading it from a Swedenborgian point of view. And um, so, yeah, I think they're they're worth reading for sure. Although I would say that it's really helpful to have a guide. Yeah, you know, like if mm. you, um, it's probably unusual in the Christian world to have never read the epistles. But if you grow up a Swedenborgian, you've never read the epistles, and you know, until a certain <laughs> point, and without any context, they can be a little difficult. So yeah, it's really helpful right. to have 
a guide somehow, right? Whether it's a teacher or a book or something to help you contextualize what's going on That's right. and to explain, you know, the the ideas and themes that come up. And uh, right. So Swedenborg even gets to the point of saying that he believes that the uh, epistles, and he doesn't believe this earlier on, but he comes to feel that the epistles actually teach a, a life of good works and salvation through good works equally as much as Jesus does in the four Gospels. He says that in the same letter to Dr. Byer, uh, which is pretty shocking. A lot of people, that's not the way a lot of people read the epistles, but he really does think they're, they're, they're on an equal footing. Right. Well, it depends which sense. epistle you read. You know, Luther, sure, for example, also, really did not like the book of James. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. And I do like the book of James. It's a good, <laughs> yeah. Source spot. That's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> and for more about that, check out spiritandlifebiblestudy.com. That's Jonathan Rose's Bible Study. Do you have That's a, right. Do you have a name of a particular episode where you go in more detail on that? Um, oh, not on this particular point, but we okay. we deal with the epistles all the time okay. in there. It's also broadcast on ustream.tv slash channel slash Nunclicet Bible Study, which is N U N C L I C E T Bible Study. Yeah. So easy, anyway, if you easy to remember, yeah, yeah, yes. that's right. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that that's cool. Let's uh, let's see what else the people got for us. Great. Thanks, John. Uh, Paladin One Warrior. <clears throat> if angels can fall out of heaven and back into the world of spirits, can they also fall into hell? And I think what mm-hmm. Paladin One Warrior is referencing is. Um, a couple of times, including our reincarnation show, where we talk about these cycles Swedenborg describes, where mm-hmm. you're in heaven, but then you go into like a night or winter state, where he actually talks about angels being let down into the world of spirits uh, in that period. So the question is, how low can you go? That's stupid. <laughs> okay, so does anybody have anything they want to say? Uh, um, yeah, what, what does he say? An interesting just spin on it that comes to mind is the fact that Swedenborg... What I've read, I guess, is more often that angels who are in heaven, it's that certain hellish influences will somehow creep their way into heavenly communities. So less like an angel falling into hell, but that somehow through connection, through spirits in the world of spirits, you have... He'll even... I mean, whether he says it's... In this one passage, he says a Satan or a devil or something snuck his way into... A heavenly community, yeah. um, and then he says, "Well, he didn't really come in. It's that his he he was influenced through these mediate spirits who were, you know, associated mm. with the hellish spirit, and yeah. then affected the heavenly community. Um, but that so that influence though can stir up angels' sense of self, which is their own personal hell <laughs> yeah. that we carry with us all the time. Um, but that is more or less dormant in us, and so uh, I think." in the case of angels that maybe one way to think about it is that they're not so much falling into hell as having hell sort of stirred up in them but then it works its way out mm, yeah. or they and yeah poor poor swedenborg you know uh, i've thought a lot about him having his spiritual eyes open but his spiritual nose was also open yeah. and he talks about and that was a little more costly to his person in the yeah. sense that he went through some unpleasant experiences and he says that the uh Evil spirits in hell cannot abide the smell of an mm. angel. They they it, they cannot stand it. And and likewise the other way, like the one of the stories of the type that you mentioned, um, some evil spirit sneaks in there, and if they sort of kind of hold their breath so you can't smell, they don't really say <laughs> anything or something. <laughs> but but pretty soon you figure ah no no no, uh, they, 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 the smells actually 
repel each other, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Which is maybe if I wear lots idea. of clothes, That's you right. know, they won't yeah, notice yeah. my smell quite yeah. yet. Or right, so. right. And then when he goes back, isn't that the story? That his fellow people down in hell can't, they can smell the heaven on him. All right. And they take that off. Don't come in here with that right, on, right. you know. But yeah, lilac. Uh, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I don't think angels could make it all the way into right. hell with that smell thing operative. Right. And he, yeah, that what you mentioned about how you change place through these immediate spirits and all that. Like, there's a lot of like traveling without traveling in the sh- spoiler alert in the show we're about to do. Swedenborg talks about traveling through the universe, but doing so by changes of state mediated by spirits, etc. Mm. Um, so, so there is this sort of you can move and not move at the same time. Now, angels have in them the tools to connect with hell because Swedenborg says you never lose you never like Mm. don't have any dark side you never don't have an ego it's just the state of heaven is it's it's uh, on the lowest it's it's dormant uh, to an extent so but in for the sake of continually making life better and perfecting the angels as you guys were mentioning you do get let down so you still have this sort of like well, I won't throw out that phone number. You know, like they still have it in them, even though God like keeps them away most of the time. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how. Like probably some of them have more severe um, growth periods than others, which include more severe temptations. But it's not like fall into hell. It's not like oh, I used to live in heaven. Now I'm trapped in hell. I don't think you'd, you'd quite find that scenario because as the ruling love is too different. It's just you're a different substance that can't hang out there and, and live there. Yeah. Do you have any agree with that. thoughts? Good? Sounds good to me. Okay, cool. Good. All right, so just get up there, and then, then you'll be safe. Um, <laughs> next one. Thanks, Paladin, one warrior. Stephen, does Swedenborg ever write about numbers like 333-1111 or numerology? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. He, he writes about numbers. We did a show about numbers yeah. uh, a while ago, and he often explains numbers um, in their biblical symbolism right. context, context. But yeah. he's got stuff to say, so do you guys have any... Um, any wisdom about numbers? And because people wonder about this, they, they feel like they see a certain number repeating on a clock, or it's a coincidence. Why you, why why did I just happen to look at the clock when it's three thirty three or whatever? So, did we touch on any of that? I don't know they're mm. one of the same kind of clocks when, when mm. it was around. But do you want to launch into it? Go ahead. I'd I'd love to. Good. Go ahead. <laughs> um, the, we got to go to commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a very strange thing. You know, you might think of numbers and counting and all that sort of stuff as being of the more on the side of the intellect than the heart yeah so you know you might you might think it's oh that's mathematical that's geeky or something like that it's very strange that swedenborg says that the highest angels who are more the heart types Mm -hmm. have this language of numbers they love numbers yeah. they can write whole thing they can understand just strings of numbers they can express amazing things through their numbers and um and so swedenborg gets let in on a little of that i think and he does discuss the numbers and he says things like well a hundred really basically means the same as ten right yes. you know and so does a thousand you know what like the, the multiples it's about the factors that go in there you know so if 144 is really a 12 and and stuff like this so he he certainly does does get into that in a big way and say that that's a very high kind of language in the spiritual world yeah 
Well, that's yeah. interesting, given the with the hot emphasis, because I think mathematics and music, like more something that engages the right side of the brain, interesting, as opposed to the left, which they is go more, together, don't they? Yeah. Often math and music yeah. and art and harmony and stuff certainly like that. does. Yeah. You know, like ratios or what? You know, like that sort of a subconscious mm. thing that we have it's an totally awareness of. Mathematical, yeah, that's yeah. right. I was just really, think, really interesting. Thinking about when I try to sing harmonies, and just uh, there's some math part missing in my brain. Oh. <laughs> like, some people could just ah, jump yeah. in. I try it, like, but only like in front of my wife. <laughs> okay, or now. Yeah. I wonder. I don't have an answer about this, but I just wonder about because I think there is, like you said, Swedenborg's the numerology that Swedenborg talks about is very biblical based, and I, he doesn't say so much whether I mean he mentions that that angels speak in numbers. But he's not clear about, he's not, he doesn't clearly make the point that these numbers always have this exact meaning or something. Yeah. Like he's not going into it so much. And so I wonder sometimes because people do draw so much meaning from the 11 number or the 333s or, you know, uh, whether there is, you know, whether numbers shift meaning in the same way that other things do in our world sometimes you know yeah. like that that a certain kind of animal might mean one thing for one person or it might mean something slightly different for somebody else or is there some you know ultimate meaning or court like mm, right yeah. correspondence of it or something or right. like so what right. is that how do you gain well, that sort of knowledge that, mm, or something that reminds me of the, like in dreams him describing angelic conversations coming into imagery because it's this it means something to you that Swedenborg knew someone who we felt like was was mm. superficial and they were talking about superficiality and so that guy showed up in his dream so yeah does it mean something different for different people and I'm wondering can we get the wide shot um oh I guess you probably couldn't even see it but so there's four mugs here like does a mug have a correspondential meaning right it's right. got to everything does so then does four mugs mean something? Like the, right. the, does four, it's certainly like certain arrangements of numbers of objects can make me feel a little different. So I wonder if that's it. But he doesn't really, uh, as far as I know, ever go into that. So. Right. It just seems like a person's own knowledge and association with, with things would come into play if they are seeing the number 333 a lot of the time. You know, like I have certain numbers that I see that I draw just some simple sort of meaning from for myself but it's yeah. entirely personal i would not find that number i wouldn't project that that number should mean the same thing mm -hmm. or have any special yeah. importance to somebody else you know because we attach ourselves to numbers yeah. like our birthdays or our this or that like they become our own you know we put our personality on them or something and so it's just interesting yep i yeah, think there's yeah. a lot to be explored in what swedenborg does write about numbers you know having read it a lot myself I do apply that Swedenborgian lens to numbers too, you know, right. but that's, yeah. so if somebody I, I, wants I, to dig in there, they I, certainly I've can. told friends that they have a bad phone number. Yeah. <laughs> and, and other people have a really, I've, I had a friend who's got a really good one, like the all 10 digits, they were, they were amazing. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. <laughs> Should we change our number? Like, Jonathan Rose says it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is like three, yeah, right, three, 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 that's like, Three is completeness. They have three threes. That should be like that's but, right. Super but right, does it mean something different? And and do our like when we're a kid and you have a favorite number, is that because of this you're tapping into the universal meaning, or is it just like right. yeah, my birthday's on the tenth? So yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> these, are, these are the enduring questions. But they are. But I do think there's a future in taking everything Swedenborg does say about it and getting some people who know and love 
numbers and math and like getting right. them to think about and see patterns in it and, and deduce from from greater whole so there's probably a ton we can learn just even with a few building blocks he gives us but but that's that you'd have to really know the number side of it and then we'll have to have a math panel someday yeah, yeah. yeah. Get a bunch of like, just send in <laughs> equations and we'll positions. just like nail them I'll, I'll be sitting to the side for that yes, one. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> let's look at our next question uh this is from the BL202 are our loved ones who have passed able to communicate with us through our dreams? I would say yes. Yeah. They are able. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a yes. Yeah. Huh? Oh, we're taking a I don't know. We're, 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 we're doing a poll. Yeah. We're doing yes a poll. No okay. a straw, yes. A random yes. totally My random yes. straw mm-hmm. sample. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so too. So we need some elaboration. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna well, I'll just add, I am Swedenborgian, but I recently had the opportunity to get to have a conversation with a woman who's of the Baha'i faith. Yeah. And it was just delightful to get to hear how almost casually, but obviously it had great importance to her that she spoke about how her um, father and her brother who had passed on were, um, would come to her in dreams. And it was just great to hear her. It made so much sense that the kind of support they offered her was especially when she was going through hard times, you know, like dealing with something physical world-ish, like cares and concerns of the physical world that had her stressed out. And then it would be that she'd have a dream and a loved one would come to her and just give her a sense of peace, you know, and it's okay, it's going to be okay. You know, just this message that you would, that heaven would give to us, you know, and, and that would help her, you know, face the physical world life. And I just feel like, you know, that is just a sweet setup. If we Mm. could just have more of this sense of, I mean, already sleep is such a restorative thing, but so in a way, I wonder if subconsciously we are just having that kind of association uh-huh. in our sleep that just helps us face the day-to-day of, oh yeah, the physical world, so much worry, yeah, so many concerns. It's been very cool to me a few times where I've had dreams of a deceased loved one and, and they, um, I'm in a whole party and there's all these people milling around and people are doing stuff. But then there's this person who's sort of like more alive than the other people mm. at the party, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and I realize, oh, it's you or something like that. And there's some sort of sense of exchange and so on, even the, even though there's all these other bit players in there or something like that. Yeah. There was another time I, uh, um, someone who had passed on and, and um, I picked up the phone and they were talking in my dream yeah. and they were talking to me on the phone like I could oh, we could have a conversation on the phone or you know anyway I think it is neat and and um I think the way to evaluate one way to evaluate these things as you were saying is what's what's comforting or hopeful or positive you know sometimes people can just you know they hack in and they you know give you some weird dream or something that's disturbing you know yeah oh and that's that reminds me I mean yeah, I'll share this this dream I had, but in terms of discerning what is, is it a real presence of that person's spirit or is it not? Is it just your own, you know, imagination or right. memory of that person? And um, my mom died when I was 10 and I had some very incredible dreams right after she died where I felt like I had clear connection and presence with her. Um, and then several years where I didn't. And when, when I had my last dream, she had said, you're not going to see me for a while, you know, and I knew, but it's going to be okay with sort of this sense. And then I sure enough, you know, didn't have any dreams of her for many years. And then it wasn't till I was probably in my uh, mid twenties that uh, I reflected on this and 
I don't know what it was exactly where I ended up having um, a dream where she appeared to me in my dream in my house, like, you know, normal, like you'd see somebody in your house. And um, it was one of these situations where I was super stressed out about something and I was somehow communicating that to her. And she just did this hilarious, like, flip of her head of just sort of like this, oh, come on, (laughs) get over it. (laughs) Like, like sort of, you know, expressing the sort of like, it was just fabulous. And it was so on point. And it was just like, just that reflection was enough for me to sort of realize, oh, I don't need to hold what I'm stressing about quite so hard. Mm -hmm. And, and because it was such a sort of lighthearted, weird, short dream where that's all I saw, I questioned, <laughs> is this, did I really see her? Or like, why was it her and not somebody else? And I ultimately felt like, like this Baha'i faith lady sort of expressed to me that, no, I think that probably was her because I think that is that use of our loved ones on the other side is they can just sort of give us mm-hmm. this higher perspective um, that helps us see our physical world concerns in a in an easier, more lighthearted way. Yeah. Well, that that reminds me of um, the, I don't know which book it is, but you heard just like sort of ah, oh, come on, you know, and that, yeah. that lightening your load. There was this book of this woman was telling a story of a friend of hers who was a prison counselor and it was murdered in the prison by by someone she was counseling, and she and the the friend was agonizing over what was it like, only like, what were the final moments like, and everything, and she had this dream. And her, I forget the the exact thing, but her friend sort of poked fun at her a little bit. Like I'm fine. Why are you even? And and she and the, I think the phrase was, that that gentle chiding did more to lighten my spirits than anything else possibly ever could have. So yes. there's something about this like that perspective that you're you're talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. Ah, it's fine. Yeah, so it's like wow. It's <laughs> very funny. Mm-hmm. Jonna? Um. Well, I you know on a slightly different note, I kind of I think sometimes about how much does it matter or how important is it that we remember our dreams? Because mm-hmm. we're dreaming a lot more than we consciously right. remember when we wake up. Anyway, I say this because personally, I don't remember my dreams very often at all, except when they're kind of harrowing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I kind of yeah. like feel like I only ever remember bad dreams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, I am, thankfully, you know, I, I, haven't, I, I haven't lost a loved one who is very close to me. Um, and I haven't had the experiences of, of having anyone like that visit my dreams, but I sometimes worry, like, would I remember if they did? You know, yeah. like, hopefully it would be mm, right. as meaningful, right, as the things you describe, where, of course, I would wake up and remember it. But I don't know, you know. Um, and is it possible that they are with us when we're sleeping and we don't remember, mm, right. you know, yeah. because it it doesn't have some sort of searing connection to whatever we're going through in the moment. You know, I don't know, yeah. mm-hmm. but I wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that communication through dreams, we maybe you know, cause we are these physical world people that like, we all, we think so much in vision, in visual terms. Um, and, and so a dream is I can remember it because I see the picture in my mind of what was happening in the dream. But, um, as I've read Swedenborg and contemplated these things for myself too, it's been helpful to realize that it's the feelings that I wake up with Mm -hmm. that I think are a communication with heaven. Uh Um, You know, that sometimes when you wake up and you just feel peaceful, who knows, you know, what the connection was or something. (laughs) But I do think that that is that, um, that feeling level of like maybe even soup, you know, really high angels of mm-hmm. heavenly angels that are present that are giving you that. So, you know, it's kind of a trick question where it's like, 
from a Swedenborgian perspective, we are always communicating with, you know, our loved ones and with, you know, angels and spirits. And so yeah. some deep, yeah, deep and the, level, right? that there are angels that love you like as deeply as family members do, even if you, you don't feel like you've met them. Um, mm. right, but I right. had that. What you're talking about in a major way a few nights ago, where I woke up like feeling like awesome, and I was like, whatever, I'm like rich in some way, like like something cool has happened. And I barely remember anything of the dream. And just between you, you guys and I, um, it was like Swedenborg stuff related. Like somebody in my dream was like had like somehow like watched our show or done something, and they were like, this helped so much. And that's all I remember from the dream. But I woke up like just feeling like really good i was like this is awesome and it didn't like fade quickly i was nice. like great this is sweet <laughs> so whatever it was nice. some some heavenly residue in there. yes that's yes. nice all right i think that's we're great. gonna do another one we're gonna do one more question before we wrap it up here so thanks everybody let's take a look at who the, the last lucky contestant is goldie swedenborg says that good spirits don't get punished for wrongs done in this life how are wrongs repaired when they have done a damaging act against mm. another person in life. So she's referencing recently on a show we did talk about how Swedenborg says mm. that nobody is, you're not sort of tallying up a score and then that is I, I, this, this many bad things, you get six years and then, then you're free. Um, that that if, you're, if you're focused on good, then you, you, then you don't even have to worry about that stuff. But yeah, somebody who overall is focused on good could have done a lot of harm in various ways probably has um so how do you reconcile these two and how do we get to healing you know based on that um so jada do you want to kick this one off well i think it would have to do with how much all of those questions are integrated with our sense of journey right like um it matters i think whether or not what we did was accidental or whether or not we deliberated upon it or whether we felt like we did the best we could or whether we were just lazy. Like, I think all of that plays into what kind of processing happens for us when we're in heaven. And so, and I think also the the closeness of the relationship of the people that we wronged, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, um, you know, like I, I sort of, you know, exist in my white privilege in this world, you know, um, probably perpetuating a bunch of systemic oppressions that I don't necessarily consciously, you know, can apologize to everybody that I've affected. But if I had done something very particularly wrong during parenting or something, then I think that that would feel like it would be a really important thing to process Mm -hmm. um, in the next life because I feel like it has to do with my own identity you know my own identity as a person who loves and what i love and it would it would feel important to me to know where i went wrong you know and how to fix that so i don't know that's my first stab at it absolutely mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. my first i've got two sort of answers in mind one is from um actually near-death experience sources that uh people talk about <clears throat> you get to feel the effect that you've had on other people. That's such a powerful idea. Swedenborg doesn't say yeah. that point blank exactly or whatever, uh, but I've, I'm very drawn to that idea that there's a true. It's a world of truth. It's an honest world, and something that one NDE person said that was really amazing to me was that he said you can see 
the other person and how they reacted. And you can also see what their baggage was that was yeah. activated. And they can see your baggage. You can see your baggage. There's yeah. something that heals the whole thing is to sort of have this multi-layered perspective on what went down, you know, which I think is is healing for everybody that you're all... So almost like actors after the play or something like that. I, I'm not trying to take away from the seriousness of the harm that people do each other. Yeah. Swedenborg uh, has a passage in, in Heaven and Hell toward the end there where he talks about with really serious stuff that people have done, crimes, that there are trials, there are historic reenactments. It sounds like mm. one of these shows on, you know, like two hours of, mm. you know, looking into, and yet unlike all those shows, you actually get the answer. You yes. know, did so-and-so do it, or did so-and-so not? And you see all the thoughts and the feelings, and the whole thing is acted out. He doesn't talk about this, like what sort of emotional effect it might have. Mm -hmm. But for someone who's been poisoned by someone under a guise of friendship is one example yes. that he gives. It would be pretty powerful to just like that they know and you know and you know they know and they you know like the whole thing is public. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no hiding it. I would think there would be some closure, some sort of process, some kind of emotional something that goes on in that way. And I think that would address the wrong. There, there's something yeah. about wrongs where it just, in one sense, it can never be righted. You know what I mean? That's, That's right. one, one of the awful things. You, really, you can't unsay the thing that mm -hmm. you said. You can't undo the thing that you did. But to have that spiritual perspective, I think, probably helps a lot. And have the, have the, just to have the truth come out. It makes me think of the part of this which says good spirits don't get punished. Because you think about somebody who, let's even say poison somebody, but they, before they died deeply regretted what they did and they feel terrible and they they would like to, did everything they could to try to make amends and already feel it's a different it would be a different use in the truth coming out than if the person was still trying to say like I didn't do that or I was yeah. justified in doing that it's, it's that sort of factor it seems like a denial buster yeah that, like he describes dramatic scenes where the person you know rises up out of the grave and says you you know this that's right of, you know, yeah. 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 yeah Chelsea I don't know if I have any okay. other thoughts on it. I have one final one then, okay. which is, um, seems to me like, so I I definitely fluctuate in like, oh, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, a nice person now, and now I feel like oh, I'm, I'm kind of more self-centered. But it feels like the closer I am towards being a good person and like, oh, like adopting higher principles, the more that I'm excited about writing any wrongs that I might have done. And the, the Sweet Boy yeah. sort of talks about the difference between heaven and hell is like, Hell is uh, whatever is mine is good. So like if I did something, it's okay that I did it because I had a good reason. Where heaven is, you love what's true or good independently. So you, you like you love justice, you love um, you know aiding people who are in need and that sort of thing. So it seems to me like the close whenever I'm getting closer to heaven, I'm more like, oh yeah. And if I did that, I really want to like make all the amends I possibly can to this person. And it sort of feels like exciting because it's like. I did this thing that was harmful, and so I can, like, I have a special angle on being able to just, like, say to whichever, I said something mean to somebody in school when I was a kid or something, to just be like, you're cooler than I am. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, that was so dumb that I said that. And, and like, even though that doesn't fix it all the way, but do you see the dynamic I'm talking about? That you, the yeah. more you get into heaven, the more you're, like, right on board with, like, 
let me let me do this because it doesn't have the same personal attachment of like well i don't you know i had my reasons for that you're just like truth like justice truth and goodness like how can we so something like that wasn't there that wimbledon uh amazing episode where the 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 one part not long ago in the past year or so where the you know the person serves and it's called in or what whatever it was the the guy who would uh have lost out by it told the other person you should challenge the call because you know like the call was in his favor yeah and he told the other guy well wow. he just told him you challenge it yeah challenge it and everybody sort of in the crowd uh. is like what just happened? And yeah. then everybody just freaks out because they challenge it. And the point does go to the other guy. Wow. But emotionally, this guy really won big for, you know, yeah, like yeah. he cares right. more about the right. game being done right yeah. than his getting his own points. And I mean, it's a cool video yeah. out there. Well, that said, let's see what our final scores are for this episode. <laughs> um, all right, guys, that's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this programming, please like and subscribe. That helps this, this kind of stuff get out into the world and more people to ask more questions will... We'll see it next time. Also, we're a nonprofit, so we, we run off donations. Here's a quick clip about our philosophy and how you can help. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. So two final announcements. Shadow, you're just going to have to be on camera for these, so sorry about that. <laughs> One is, and I have no idea where this graphic is going to appear, but important thing coming up with Patreon. Oh, there it is. Patreon. Um, you got, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but later this week we're going to be launching a program that will allow you to both be part of what we do and get extra bonus content to enrich your experience. So we're very excited and you'll hear more about that in this coming week. Also next week on Monday we're going to be looking into heaven and specifically asking the question, what if I don't like heaven? So if you've ever wondered that or you just feel like that might be fun, Hang out with us then. We'll see you then. Same time, I want to say thanks to the whole panel, everybody for coming. It was just like great to hear you talk and think, and I, I just come away feeling enriched, and I hope everyone at home was too. So thanks very much, guys. Thanks. All right, thanks, Curtis. Mm -hmm. See you yeah. next week, everybody. Mm -hmm. Swedenborg and Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keys. Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.